And welcome back, everybody, to Decal Download, your source for the latest news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning with Commissioner Amy Jacobs. I'm Reg Griffin. We appreciate you joining us this week and every week. You can always join us online at decal.ga.gov or on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Well, in January, the Georgia Partnership for Excellence in Education presented its 18th edition of the Top 10 Issues to Watch report. This report identifies and analyzes key education issues Georgia will be or should be addressing in the coming year. And Commissioner, as in past years, the importance of early learning and its role in supporting the statewide workforce is included in the top 10 list. Yeah, it is. And uh, we were happy to see that GPEE had another uh, top 10 that included early learning. Obviously, we think it's the most important uh, few years of a child's life as you know, we so, know so much about brain development. And I think this year, more than any, uh, focusing on the workforce is definitely, definitely a priority for us. I'm glad that they brought that topic to the forefront for policymakers around the state as well. Yeah, really was important. Always uh, reflected there in the top 10, although they're quick to tell you they aren't in any certain order. <laughs> this is not Casey Kasem or Ryan Seacrest old, you know, countdown show. It's just the top 10 issues to watch. So joining us to talk about the top 10 issues to watch is Dr. Dana Rickman, president of the Georgia Partnership for Excellence in Education. And Matt Smith is senior policy analyst for GPEE. Folks, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We're so excited to be here. Well, it's great to have you guys here. Dana, it's hard to believe you have been in the role of president now for over a year, uh, following in the footsteps of our, our good friend, Dr. Steve Dolinger, who was there for 19 years, so no pressure. You got you got a little time to catch up with him. You were previously vice president uh, and research and policy director. How do you like this new role? Well, you know, I, I like it. It's been, I, I can't believe it's been a year. As yeah. everybody talks about, you know, time's lost all meaning. And I keep reminding myself it's actually 2022. Uh, but it's been an exciting year, both for me to, to learn the new role and to bring on new staff like Matt, who we'll talk to, you know, in a minute. And it's just a really exciting time for me personally, but also for the, for the partnership. You know, the current state of the world, yeah, there's some challenges out there. Um, and so it, it can be tough to can keep a positive attitude these days. But with, you know, challenges, I think there comes a lot of opportunities. And I think that it has really set us up both the Georgia partnership and Georgia in, generally uh, for a lot of new opportunities and a, a lot of ways to sort of grow and change. And so, you know, Steve was president for 19 years, but, you know, Reg, I don't know if you know, I think you guys are celebrating a similar anniversary. This is our 30th year this year. Yeah. Um, and so as we look forward, we're going to bu keep building on our historical strengths of policy, research, knowledge, all the things. And, you know, we've always had that focus on, on equity. But as we move into this sort of next phase of the partnership, we're really going to start, uh, we're kicking off a new vision, digging into some of the structural root causes of these uh 
differing outcomes that we're seeing. And so you, you sort of saw that in our current top 10, where it's designed around what we're calling an equity frame. And so I want to be clear, though, when we talk about equity, because those are one of those words that can go sideways on you fast. Um, and so when the partnership talks about equity, what we mean is equitable opportunity for everybody, no matter where they are. And so if you're a you know, a rural learner down in, you know, Tifton, Georgia, uh, who's an ESL student, you know, struggling to learn English, or if you're a gifted and talented student in Marietta, but you have different uh, resource needs. And so, you know, our equity frame, the way we're thinking about it is to make sure that whatever resources you need to be successful, they're made available to you. And so we're really excited to be, you know, digging into this with, with some teeth. Um, it's not a new goal for us. Um, it's not a new urgency, but it's real focus now for us. Well, Matt, you joined GPEE recently from the Georgia Department of Education. How's that transition going for you? Similar to Dana, I've been in this role for almost a year now, and really what I kind of learned was working with districts so closely that there's a lot of interplay between public policy and local practice. And in this role, it's really been interesting. You know, I got hired and the next day we started talking about top 10 and, you know, for six months, nothing but top 10. When January rolled around and we released the top 10, it gave us time to reflect and to think about not only what was in the document, but what we want to do moving forward with our strategy. And so it's really crucial right now for me to think about what I learned at the DOE working with those 100 plus districts, as well as thinking about how public policy can support those districts work going forward. Well, let's sort of set the table by describing the mission and work of the Georgia Partnership for Excellence in Education. Dana, what can you tell us about that? Well, you know, briefly, Reg, as you know, that, you know, our mission is really to inform leaders and improve education from early learning all the way through adult workforce success. Uh, and we do that through our research and publications, things like the top 10 issues to watch or the economics of education. But we also work uh, around advocacy and convening stakeholders together, both at the state level, but also at the local level. Because uh, as everybody knows, you know, Georgia is a local control state and there's a lot going going on in, in the regions and in the individual communities. And so we really try to play that uh, connector role to help make communities strong, uh, to make them resilient to the, you know, the changing economic times and, and things like that. And so we're really striving to use our voice to help connect sort of the unconnected. And as, as uh, Matt mentioned, you know, we, we sit at sort of the intersection of policy and practice. And so you know, we use our work to really make those as powerful as, as they can be. And we sort of pride ourselves and our, our goal is to be that voice of reason that kind of cuts through all the noise and all the, all the chatter to really put forth best practices, solid research, and make sure that every kid and adult has a, has a fair chance to be successful. Normally, you do share the top 10 issues with media and state leaders with an in-person event held just prior to the opening of the Georgia General Assembly. This year, for the second time, you had to go virtual. Uh, how did that work for you? I'll take that one, Commissioner. Yeah, it was really interesting. I was planning to stand in front of a podium, respond to questions, kind of give my net, you know, my best press secretary impression. But um, um, it didn't work out that way. And 
but we still were able to um, deliver via Zoom. And really what I learned about the Media Symposium is it kicks off a year of engagement with reporters. It's not a one-off event. And so we've been engaging with reporters throughout the year, and we hope that we can provide answers to their questions and provide a needed background on their stories when maybe they don't have the content area expertise. And what I love about the Media Symposium, and it's easier to do in person, but we were able to do it uh, virtually. People like Reg, you know, you attend. Um, and then the other sort of communications folks from the other state agencies. So not only do we want to introduce ourselves as re- as resources to the reporters across the state, but introduce them to all of the players. And so now, you know, Reg probably got a couple connections with reporters if they have questions about early learning. They've seen Reg, they have his contact information, you know, they see the state superintendent. And so to really help build that network of free flow of information about what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I I do enjoy the in-person meetings more because uh, the snacks and lunch are always great. Breakfast is always great. But uh, and then also seeing face to face these reporters we work with on a regular basis is uh, is a lot of fun. But this is so well attended. And as someone who's been in the industry and the profession for a while, I I really encourage you guys um, and compliment you on doing this, because I think it's a great way uh, to touch base with everybody particularly right before the session starts. And uh, I think that's very important. So um, looking here, you opened this year's report with these words. If 2020 were a year defined by tumult and uncertainty, 2021 was a year marked by optimism and transition. Education uh, stakeholders settled into the realities of living and leading through a pandemic while making the most of the silver linings that emerged in the work of improving public education throughout 2021. I love the silver linings emphasis. Dana, what what were some of those silver linings? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm laughing to myself as you read that out loud, because, you know, where we are now in 2022, we wrote those uh, in, in the fall of 2021, you know, November, December, before Omicron hit. And so right. we were always we were feeling really optimistic and excited. And we're like, yes, 2022 is our year. And then, of course, things change. But, you know, there, there are some silver linings that you know, if you look for them, they're, they're there, that there's there is now broad awareness of issues of inequality and just general access opportunities that have always been there. You know, there's there's now a real focus on the mental health needs of children, even young children and their families. You know, access issues to everything from summer feeding to Internet to, you know, all the things that that make children healthy and able to engage in school. Um, and it's especially for, for your audience, the, the general awareness of sort of the essential worker aspect of the entire early care system. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, as a whole, we need to figure out how to support that. So it's there not only for what we know are good for children and families, but in times of, of turmoil too. And so I think, again, these aren't new problems, but just sort of now that everybody has sort of been affected by it, the, the silver lining is maybe we can harness this energy to, to address these issues that have always been there. But, you know, uh, Reg and Commissioner Jacobs, I, I got to be honest, I've got, I've got some concerns that there's a real potential, especially now as we're moving into year two, that, you know, we may waste some of these opportunities. I, I keep hearing more and more that, you know, it's time to just get back to normal. 
And, you know, a year ago, we were all saying, we can't go back to the way it was. We have to do something different. And so I'm worried that the fatigue of the pandemic was like, oh, can't, I just need something familiar. I don't want anything new or different. And so I think it's important that we keep these conversations going and yeah, we don't want to be here anymore, but let's not go back. Let's go somewhere better. We are encouraging everyone to go to your website to view the top 10 issues at gpee.org. I thought we might focus on a couple of them today. Don't have time for all 10. (laughs) Um, But I mean, just to state the obvious one more time, COVID and the pandemic is reflected throughout the report. How could you not? Uh, Was it difficult to write the report this year with ever-changing circumstances around COVID and the variants? Yeah, it was a little bit of a roller coaster to be sure. I think Dana already kind of pointed out where we felt kind of optimistic, pessimistic, somewhere in between. And really what when we met with state leaders and education advocates, we kind of observed that in year, I guess entering year three now of the pandemic, that um, the underlying challenges have changed very little. But our responsiveness and our attention and our optimism can really help in this way. Not to mention, as Reg uh, said from the jump, um, billions of dollars from the federal government that is supporting this pandemic relief. And so we're really pretty optimistic day in and day out that with the creativity, the innovation happening locally, as well as state policymakers supporting these practices that we can see something. But I do want to echo what Dr. Rickman said regarding some of the um, urgency around this and making sure that we're not necessarily going to fall back to where we were pre-pandemic. Right. That's a good point. I know they aren't ranked in any certain order. Um, You know, we have our priorities over here, but that's okay. We're not influencing you. (laughs) What stood out most to you? Yeah. When we were thinking about this, we were saying, okay, there's kind of three different things that came to mind. First in the top 10, we highlighted, like I just said, the creativity and local innovation of educators. Uh, both in, uh, both in um, the early care space as well as K-12 and even higher ed. Um, we also um, identified specific ways that we could tweak existing systems and structures to support best practices, especially in the areas of funding and accountability. But the third in, uh, insight I think was the most important that overall we need to um, champion policies that increase resilience, whether it's for individuals, communities or our state systems and really going forward that's what we're going to kind of pinpoint thinking any recommendation that we give is it increasing resilience is it increasing um, some kind of um, strength that we already hold in our state issue number seven here in this year's report is early learning protecting investments in early Learners, where you say continued lack of access to affordable child care and wage inequity for early childhood education workers threatens state investments in early childhood education. That is pretty serious stuff right there. Can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I'd be happy to. And I, I think, as, as you know, and hopefully your listening audience knows, we recently did a critical issue forum around this exact topic that people can mm-hmm. go listen to, uh, to talk about. But, you know, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir for you guys, because you know this, but, you know, the, the state policymakers, especially under the leadership of DECAL, 
we really developed a strong early learning infrastructure in, in Georgia. I mean, I would, I, I don't think it's underselling it to say we're a national leader in, in early learning and the structures that we've put in place uh, over the past 30 years. And, you know, during that time, you know, we've invested over $8 billion in lottery funds alone in Georgia pre-K. But as you know, early learning is so much more than, than Georgia pre-K. We've invested time, energy, and resources into improving quality with the quality rating system, teacher training and professional development, the focus on social and emotional health of very young children. And there's just so much going on in this space that make us a, a national leader. But clearly, there's still more work to do, but so much is happening. And I'm so proud of Georgia for, for really raising, for focusing on this. But, you know, these investments rely on a qualified and strong early learning industry workforce. And your research tells us, and I think it's, you know, people, you just know this, that sort of the economic security of people working in this industry is linked to their ability to create enriching learning environments for their students. Um, and so thinking about things like pay and working, working conditions, you know, they're critical strategies for maintaining this workforce and maintaining high quality early care. Uh, and as we saw in the pandemic, you know, this industry workforce, it's a critical pillar uh, for Georgia's overall overall plan to build on previous investments, expand the system. And so we need continued support for this workforce. Uh, you know, and despite, you know, current and federal investments, we really need to think about improving uh, pay, increased retention rates, and, you know, the average hourly wage, as you know, for, for child care centers, it's really unacceptable, uh, given the importance that they play in our, you know, economic recovery in the immediate term, but just the long-term health of our whole state. Right. Agree. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything else. Though. Okay. Um, the report acknowledges the challenges of continuing high quality early education in Georgia with the reality of the staffing shortages and the low wages of the early childhood workforce. What are your recommendations for improving this going forward? Oh, Commissioner Jacobs, that is such a tough question. And I wish I had a five point plan of here's exactly what we need to do. But unfortunately, you know, I think we're in uncharted territory here. And so I think this is where Georgia needs to be innovative and creative and really think about structurally, how do we support the early learning industry? Um, the, the drivers of early childhood policy and funding for it, we need to shift from re relying on primarily low wage workers uh, to serve the majority of the population that place value uh, on, on this. And we need to consider things like how do we offer health insurance, debt forgiveness, you know, refundable tax credit, uh, professional development um, and professional development ladder for those in the early care and, and workforce industry. And so how do we support that? And because it's such a different structural environment than K-12, like in the K-12 system, as, as we know, and, and you know, hats off to, to the governor who just, from what I understand, in the budgets that are passing, the K-12 teachers are finally getting their raise, pre-K teachers are, are part of that, but we can't just mandate, oh, raises for um, educators in the early learning industry, because primarily, as, as you know, that industry is supported by parent fees. Um, and these are mostly small businesses, entrepreneurial businesses that, that operate independently, obviously within your know, regulations. And so how do we think about incentivizing and 
and quality costs money and parents are paying everything they can now. So we can't just mandate, oh, pay teachers more. And so we need to think really creatively about how to support the entire industry, understanding the. And the report also addresses the urgent need to address learning gaps caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, What are the recommendations there? Yeah, thanks, Reg. I'll take this one. Um, I think that really what we were thinking about with the learning gaps and the research that has recently been released, a lot of the focus has been on K-12 education, but really when we look across the birth-to-work pipeline, what's really crucial are early and frequent interventions, regardless of when they happen. What's really crucial, uh, we think as well, is the non-academic interventions, things that help um, in terms of aligning community resources and finding out where those resources could best be leveraged. And so even though we are at heart an education organization, we have been thinking a lot more about how a statewide policy could coordinate resources, not just in terms of education, but in terms of health, um, community and public services and things like that. And so to answer your question, I think the learning gaps are really um, going to be addressed through those early and frequent interventions. And um, something we also point out issue two, accelerated learning. And so that doesn't mean necessarily that um, kids are gonna enter college early. It means more so meet them where they're at and make sure that they're making continuous progress towards their goals. And yeah, and we and it's important to note that we, we talk about accelerated learning as an alternative to remediation. Uh, I think that remediation is something that's very, pervasive throughout the entire education system, but the research really does not support that it's effective. And so how do we think differently about, as, as Matt mentioned, you know, meeting kids where they are and accelerating to help them either catch up or move forward um, and really figuring out how to keep them moving forward instead of just going back and keep, keep repeating the same thing over and over. Well, what other issues stood out for you this year in this year's top 10? I know we've talked about a few, but What other ones? Yeah, I think at a higher level, we're thinking about what is the economic effect of the public policies that we have in place. And also thinking kind of on the converse as well, what is the economic impact of not having certain policies in place and the system gaps that we might be identifying. And so that was really crucial to us. The second part was kind of a need for a coordinated state plan. We've mentioned that in the last two top tens and um, we will be um, kind of pursuing that line of strategy going forward, kind of proposing a long-term strategic economic plan that involves education and workforce development. So. Um, we're happy to provide more information, but we're starting that um, by kind of reviving what we call our EdQuest Coalition and coming up with an agenda there. So we're really excited about that. Well, Dana and Matt, there seems to be a groundswell toward greater parental involvement in education decisions overall, from critical race theory to books offered in libraries to the use of masks during the pandemic. Obviously, this can be quite controversial, but there is a political appetite for it. What role can GPEE play in shaping these discussions at the state and local level? Yes, there is indeed a political appetite for these sorts Mm -hmm. of uh, discussions. Uh, And, you know, we've 
as an organization, we've, we've thought long and hard about these issues. And clearly there are things that parents are upset about and want to be heard and want to, you know, to, to have addressed. You know, when we talk about educating our children, that's our, our kids are our most prized possession. And so clearly people feel passionate and in, in want to be involved and have a say. And so I think that's something we should all keep in mind is to really get you know, to the root of what is it that parents are so upset about and, you know, how can we make sure that they have a good transparent process for understanding what's going on in their school and how they can, you know, take responsibility and help inform those discussions. I think that's really critical. Uh, But, you know, for us beyond that, we really want to figure out or or we're really working toward how do we elevate these discussions to really help focus our collective attention on the important of things like fairness and equity. You know, in the political environment that that we're in, there's a lot of folks that really kind of want to pull you down into the mud for these discussions, more on the, the political side. And so one of our strengths is that, you know, we're not really willing to be pulled into the mud, but try to keep focus on the real important issues that we need to be mindful of. Um, you know, the inequities in our school systems, you know, they're, they're just getting worse. And so we need to keep focus on what really matters and what's um, in, in, in the things that really impact student learning and some of the things we've talked about today. Uh, resources, mental health and wellness, accelerated learning, good foundational skills, all of that sort of thing. Um, And so the issues that we talk about uh, in the top 10 and in all year that we try to keep focus on, you know, really impact not only the individual students, but, you know, writ large, you know, the communities in the entire state, you know, for example, if you're able to graduate from high school with this appropriate skills for your next life steps, whether you want to go to college or into the military or into an apprenticeship program, clearly that benefits you as an individual. But thinking about, you know, communities that have high high school graduation rates, you know, that impacts the health of that community. And the more uh, individuals that we have who are able to participate in Georgia's economic development and expansion, that's good for our state. And so really thinking about how do we keep issues focused on the things that impact learning and opportunity uh, and workforce development. We touched on this a little bit, but I want to make sure we uh, hit it completely. So when you compile this report every year, I know it's got to be uh, a year long process. I, I, I can't even imagine. Who is your primary audience? Does it change? Do you expand upon it every year? And then how do you distribute it? Uh, I would say our audience or our quick answer is everybody. Uh, I mean, clearly we, we, we get it to legislators and state level leaders and local leaders, anybody who's in a decision making space uh, to, help make, for, to help them make informed decisions about these issues. Uh, but we also really design it and target it for those folks who are interested in education and want to find out what's going on in education, but may not be involved in it. Uh, And so, you know, parents, community leaders, anybody who really wants to understand these issues. And so we try to target it towards everybody. And we have a pretty large distribution system uh, that we get it out to everybody. As we we mentioned, it goes before the legislature and, and others like that. And if someone wants a copy, they can go to gpee.org. I think we have a few hard copies left, but there are electronic copies they can download. And uh, for, I guess, the third year in a row now, thanks to um, 
Matt and, and Robert Gaines, we have one page summaries of each of the 10 issues as well that people can uh, can just sort of breeze through. And so I think that's helpful for a lot of folks that aren't excited about an 80 page report. I can't imagine, <laughs> but, you know, uh, every little bit. <laughs> Takes me back to my college days. Where are the cliff notes on the exactly. top 10? We have cliff notes and then we have to, uh, you can dive in. And one thing I'm particularly excited about this year, you know, uh, with the hiring of Matt, he really took a point on this and this is his baby this year. And so for those of you who are familiar with the top 10, it's it's clearly still the partnership product. It's very in line with us, but it has a little bit of a different spin with a different personality. And so for each of the top 10 issues at the end, uh, in the final section, we have sort of next steps and there are recommendations for what needs to be what are the priorities to do immediately? What are some actions for some intermediate term? And what are some long-term actions around each of these issues? And so hopefully this will provide some real, um, you know, applied guidance for folks and not just my typical academic spin on these things. <laughs> oh, Dana, we love you. You know, you're data Dana for crying out loud. <laughs> And uh, we appreciate that. Listen, we are all out of time. We could talk about this all day long. We do want to encourage folks to go to the website and download the top 10 for yourself, gpee.org, and uh, take a look at that. You can see the the highlights. You can get into the details. Um, and, and I know that uh, the folks at GPE would appreciate uh, any feedback that you might have on that. Dana and Matt, we uh, we love talking with you. We want to have you back soon. Thanks for everything you're doing. And um, thanks uh, particularly for this great report. Thank you. You guys have a great day. Bye. Now, what are your questions for Commissioner Jacobs? Let's go to the water cooler. Hey, my name is Megan McGraw, and I work in the Instructional Supports Division here in Macon, Georgia. My question for Commissioner Jacobs is, what do you like to do on the weekends? Uh, well, hey, Megan, and thank you for your question. Uh, so, you know, I would like to say on the weekends, I spend, you know, lots of time doing, I don't know, professional development, uh, self-help books, type things. Reading, reading novels. Books, yeah. yeah, things like that. Taking a <laughs> class. But uh, it's, you know, I do have young children, so it's really all about their activities. Um, you know, we just finished up basketball for both of them, and now we're moving in um, to softball. And my daughter's made the all-star team, which just adds all right. practices. I know, exciting, right? But it just adds a lot as we put our calendar together. Like, so this is our weekend for the next several months is softball and some more softball. Um, but we're excited about that. Uh, but so I'd love to say I do something for myself, but uh, right now it's all about the kids. Remind us their ages. So Charlie is 13 and uh, Lane is nine. She just turned nine. And because Charlie is 13, he likes to go by CJ. Yes, he goes by CJ and he doesn't like that I call him Charlie, but I'm not <laughs> ever calling him CJ, but all his friends call him CJ. <laughs> they are involved in more sports than I've ever seen in my life. And, and um, following you guys and your your husband john on social media it's like saturday morning y'all have done more by nine o'clock on saturday morning uh and i'm just waking up <laughs> and y'all are at every kind of event but isn't that important i mean isn't that most important that uh just you guys being there supporting them making that a family thing absolutely it is important and it, and it is a lot of time and work but um as a cousin just told me 
you know, don't, you know, don't rush it because you'll, you'll be as free as a bird really soon and you'll miss it. And so, yeah, so we're going to be there and you know, what's great. Our grandparents are going to be there. We're all going to be there for softball Saturdays and Sundays coming up this spring. (laughs) That is great. And like the the country song, don't blink because it's over before you know it. So yeah, enjoy. That's great. Good feedback. And thanks for listening to the Decal Download Podcast. Now your chance at winning a nice prize. Let's see how well you listened. Okay, we'll draw one name from all the correct answers that we received. You can email your response to decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. Here's the question for this week. What does GPEE stand for? What does GPEE stand for? I almost gave you too many E's there. Send your answer to decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. You could win a nice prize from the Alliance Theater, Booth Western Art Museum in Cartersville, Chick-fil-A, Georgia Lottery, The School Box, Shake Shack, and Stars and Strikes Getaway and Play. Again, what does G-P-E-E stand for? Thanks for playing and good luck. Thanks for listening to the Decal Download Podcast. The Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning improves outcomes for children and families by strengthening early learning experiences in partnership with early education programs, professionals, stakeholders, families, and communities. Their vision is that every child in Georgia will have equal access to high-quality early care and education. For more information, visit their website at decal.ga.gov. Join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs. 